0: Good morning, everybody. Let me try it again. Just Your parents taught you better than that. When somebody says good morning. Good morning, everybody. It is so good to be here with you guys and to be a part of this church family is a gift for me. And uh, I love Redemption Gilbert. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am uh, deeply in love with Jesus. Jesus has totally changed my life. I am so thankful for the work of the gospel Love being in union with him. I'm also married to this beautiful lady over here, Dana Daly. And uh, I get to father five kids. And so I'm thankful for that. I pastor at Redemption Alhambra and a part of the executive team, Surge. All these kinds of things. Just all these uh, jobs that I have to do to support five kids. Uh, No, just I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Just a little bit of a warning. I feel like I have to give it. I can already tell with looking around the room, I have to give it, I get a little bit amped up when I preach, okay? I get crunk is what the kids call it, okay? Now, I will say this is that um, when I do, I'm gonna ask you to do something that just, I'm giving you the opportunity to operate in love towards a brother. We are family, Redemption Church is a family. Every family has a crazy uncle. That's me. The good news for you, the good news for you today is church, one week is all you have to put up with me, and next week you get to go back to all the boring preaching you're used to around here, okay? So uh, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for Redemption Church. I will tell you this, I've, I have planted uh, our church, we planted 20 years ago, and uh, got to become a part of Redemption Church seven years ago. And it has been a great joy for us to bring our church into this family and to be a part of this family. I, I, I say this, sometimes we think love in such a way, we'll talk a little bit about it, that we just don't see the bad stuff in each other. Anybody who understands love knows that's not true. Uh, if you've been married for a long time, you end up falling in love with the things that are just unlovable in somebody. Redemption Church has many parts that are, stra- that are strange and broken. But I'm going to tell you, I love even the broken parts of Redemption Church. I know that we as a church across Arizona have gone through massive upheaval in 2020. Not only did we feel it in Alhambra, across the nation, across the world, we felt it together. Part of being in a family is that when one part of the body is hurting, Scripture says we all hurt together. And Gilbert faced uh, uh, hurt and pain and loss and suffering in such a way that um, we, we all know that uh, we as a family felt it together. Even if we weren't a part of this local congregation. And last year, as a part of the executive team in this church, I got to experience walking through closer than I ever have before with the elders here at this church. And I I just have to tell you, I could not be more proud of your elders and leaders at Redemption Church, Gilbert. (laughs) I had more meetings than we we've never had meetings. They they your elders love to eat peanut butter to- toast at six in the morning. So I would drive all the way out here and get to meet and eat some peanut butter toast. And God used these men and these leaders in such a way. And Paul Artino is an incredible pastor and the man for the leadership of this job. And I'm so thankful for Paul. And I have to tell you this, too, there is a great impact on my life far beyond than I could express that Tyler Johnson and Haley and this family has had upon me. I feel so blessed to have watched them walk through this last year and see the things that they have faced. Unbelievably gifted man and and family. And I'm so thankful for for Tyler and Haley, the leadership that we have in this church Blows me away. But I will say this. Gilbert was a huge part of the history of Redemption Church. A huge part of it. But you guys are not just the history. You're a part of the future of what God has for us. And we are walking forward into a future that the same God who brought us here is faithfully going to lead us into what he has for us next. And I will say this, as we step into this text, we are not just opening the Bible and just pointing at a page and going, oh, we should study Nehemiah. I'm telling you, God has led us to Nehemiah so that we could as a church begin to see what would the Spirit of God be saying to us. Now, I will say, as much as I love Paul Artino, Paul Artino gave a man who hasn't preached in six weeks, Nehemiah chapter 10 through 12, which is basically handing me a contract and saying, hey, preach this contract to the people and make them excited about it. It has names, just people's names. (laughs) And not just, it's not even a genealogy. Like a genealogy, you may like family trees, it's people's names who signed a contract. (laughs) Paul Artino did this. (laughs) I haven't preached in six weeks. I don't know how to even say my name in 35 minutes. He gives me three chapters filled with names. But I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna leave this place so excited about a contract, I'm gonna blow your mind, okay? So turn to Article A, subtext 139. no i 'm not joking nehemiah nine thirty eight will be up on the screen. I want to read this because this is exactly what we 're reading here in view of all this we 're making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders are basically going to sign it that 's what we're this is what we 're studying together. It would be like, hey guys let 's talk about marriage all right now this is a beautiful illustration in scripture, and we say, "Hey, what makes a beautiful marriage and they put the the wedding contract in front of you. And you look at the names on the contract and the date and the officiant and the best man. And you look, read all the names and, and just the beautiful language and you're like, that doesn't tell me anything about your marriage. It is hard to study a contract and get something from a contract unless you understand what that contract represents. See, marriage is tricky, and I'm going to ask them to put up these three words, desire, devotion, and dedication. And I put these hard lines between them because this is what we love to do in the West. We love to isolate things that are meant to be united together and study them and dissect them separate from each other like we can understand them individually. I want you to think about if someone says what makes a good marriage, you go to this young couple who just started dating and all of a sudden they just start to tell you, while they are just cannot get their hands off of each other, how much they love each other. They're attracted to each other, they just desire each other so much they can't even stop touching each other. They're writing poems to each other nonstop and singing love songs and they get on the phone late at night night, and they just sit on the phone until they can't even talk anymore. But they won't hang up. They go, okay, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Just hang up. Just just hang up the phone. No, you hang up. Count of three. One, two, three. Did you hang up? No, I didn't either. ha, <laughs> ha fall asleep on the phone. You're just completely in love with one another. You desire each other. And then in this room, you just see some people laughing a little too hard, and those are the devotion people, right? They're the ones who just go, no, love is all about commitment. It's all about just Keeping what you said. Look, look at my relationship. I have never cheated. I've never done anything wrong. I've stayed faithful. I've paid her bills. I've done this. I don't know why my guy sounds like a smoker, but he definitely has a deep, raspy voice. You know what I mean? I do all this. I do this. I do this. And you're like, yeah, but do you like her? I do this. I do this. I've stayed committed. I've followed the contract word for word. Go kiss her. You know, I do I follow I pay the bills. And then you have the people who can only talk about how long they've been married. Look, marriage is all we've been married 50 years. Yeah, but you never talk. What are you talking yeah. about? We've been married 50 years. We've 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 just stuck it out. Listen. I understand that each one of these things by themselves can never define what true love is. These three things by themselves are never meant to define love. But what we try to do is isolate them and and, 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 and explain love in these ways. And what I want us to do today is take it out of these hard lines and, and move it into a circle and realize that when you understand the mystery of true love, you can't understand it by dissecting. You won't understand desire without devotion. You won't understand devotion without desire. You won't understand them without dedication. You see, the reality is, it's all of these things united into one new word. I don't even know what the new word is except God's love. You see, some of us lean into these things in such a way where we try to understand covenant by highlighting desire, devotion, or dedication. And church, hear me on this. This kind of love is such a mystery that if we're going to understand the contract that we're looking at, we're going to have to start to see the beauty of how they are reenacting God's love towards us. Hear me on this. Let's, Let's make this point first. God doesn't just commit himself to you and follow all of his own laws and go, yeah, kind of, I look at all that I've done for them and I've committed for a long time. He deeply loves you, He desires you, He is in love with you, He is devoted to you. He is faithful to his commitments to you and he has done it forever and he will do it forever. What makes God's love so beautiful? And some of these things are hard for us to believe. Some of you are struggling with one of these points. I know there's no way he can desire me. If you knew all the things that I've done, he, he, he tolerates me. He, he, he's committed to me, but he just puts a bag over my head and just says, I don't want to look at you. You won't understand God's love by isolating any of these things, and you won't understand what you're called into by isolating into these things. So chapter 10 verses 1 through 28, is literally just a bunch of people's names. Okay? And all of these people, what they're doing, if you'll let me carry this illustration, they're putting their name on a contract. They're not just saying, we love you, God. They're signing the marriage covenant. They're not just saying, oh, you're so cute and uh, writing poems. They're writing their name on a contract saying these three things. And if they could go on the screen, in their covenant renewal, here's what they're saying. We're not going to marry any other. Isn't that amazing? When you get married, you say, I'm only going to stay committed to you. Yeah, but just think of all the others I could have had. No, this is faithfully committed to you to be distinct people. We're going to be different. And what are we vowing? We're vowing to follow his word. And we're committing to be generous and to care for the temple. So they're saying, look, we're going to, we're going to stay committed. We're going to follow your word. And we're going to give our own money. How many of these things freak somebody out when they're going to get married? I got to stay faithful to one person. I got to listen to them. And I got to start paying my own bills. You see, the reality is, chapter 10 is a picture of what faith is. Faith according to scripture, is not just mentally ascending and saying, yeah, I believe God exists. Listen, what kind of love is it if we just all are acknowledging God existence? like, it's not truly that big of a deal if your wife comes to you and say, do you love me? And you just go, I believe you exist. (laughs) Acknowledging God's existence is not faith. He exists whether you acknowledge it or not. Faith is covenantally hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word. And faith is acted out upon and they are taking responsibility. Just think about this. For years now, 52, I don't know the the whole time, 150 years, there's a lot of conversation about how long. But let's say 50 years. For years now, they have been worshiping on the Persians' dime. The Persians have been paying for them to worship, and in this contract, they're saying, we're going to be generous and pay for the temple. We are going to carry the load. We're taking responsibility. Not only do they desire it now, they're devoting to it. So chapter 10 is a contract that is a picture of their commitment, devotion and faith. And many people love to talk about how much they love Jesus and I think that's beautiful. Don't lose it. Be passionate, be Loud about it. Be, write poems about it. Love on Jesus. I don't have to tell you that'll wear off. I don't want to hear that. I want it to stay. But devote yourself to him. Commit to him. They're saying we're going to carry the cost of this. This is growing up, church. Then chapter 11, I want to put up on the screen verses 1 through 2, and I want you to see that now the leaders or the people settled in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commanded all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now I want you to see what Nehemiah's doing. They've rebuilt the temple, but they're still living in a city that is destroyed. They rebuilt the walls, but they're still living in a city that is destroyed. And the city is empty. So they're going, hey, thanks for helping us rebuild the walls and the temple, But who's going to move here? Who's going to leave their homes? Who's going to leave their jobs? Who's going to leave all of their stuff that they've built up for the last 50 years? And who's going to come and move into this city and repopulate here? And only some volunteered. So then they said, all right, we're casting lots. And one out of ten of you is moving here. Your name get drawn. And you go, okay, I'm moving here. But look at what the last line says. He commanded all who volunteered to live. You're like, well, they didn't all volunteer. Some of them just got their name pulled out. You see, sometimes we mistake what volunteering means. There is a I will go, and then there is a God's telling me to go. And either way, whether you volunteer or whether you volunteer you're volunteering the reality is this is what they saw if whether i wanted to go god is telling us to go and we are going to in chapter 11 is another list of names paul artino but here's the names of the people who left their homes who moved away from their Houses their jobs, to come to a city that was run down and say, we are in to rebuild. You want to know what that sounds like? Leaving and cleaving. Leaving everything. And volunteering, whether you're called or whether you raised your hand volunteering to accept the call to come and sell everything you have and rebuild. This is another part of covenant. Not only are you devoted, you're dedicated. This is something we in the West really struggle with. Church, I I just... I want us to see our deficiencies. We need to see the log in our own eyes. Some of our major questions in the West is we're constantly asking a question that I don't even think Scripture is trying to push us towards. Do I have to do this to be saved? We're constantly in an identity crisis. All they want to know, what do I have to do to be saved? And because we're constantly asking this, we're constantly putting things in like we can earn our salvation. Like if I do this and I do these works, I can earn my salvation. And we as good Reformed brothers and sisters know it is by what? Grace. You should have said amen. You should have yelled grace. Grace. That was your spot, church. We're not saved by works. And sometimes when we get to texts like this, we get nervous when we talk about devotion and dedication because we are only answering one question. Like all God did for us is just to save us. But notice this. These people were not asking a question of salvation. They have been saved. They have already been redeemed and brought out, back out of their exile into this new Jerusalem. They have been saved. What are they talking about now? Rebuilding. Repopulating. Returning. And what this requires is looking at God's faithfulness and how he has continued to be faithful and seeing that not only as something to be thankful of, but something to be called to. His faithfulness calls you to faithfulness. His dedication calls you to be dedicated. I I want us to just think about This project in light of repopulation, returning to the mundane, and creating new liturgies. And I want us to think once again in light of what we've just been through in 2020, now into 2021. Not only in this church, Gilbert, but also in the church, Redemption, and then the church across the world. Churches have been derailed. They've lost. The walls have fallen down. People have left. There is tons of research on the repopulation of church and many of us Look at churches and see the crisis that it is going through and can relate. I planted 20 years ago. And at the same time, I had my first son. And over the years as my son has grown up, our church has grown and grown up. Now my son is moving out. And experiencing manhood, my other children are growing. And I told my wife, I feel the same thing is happening to me in such a way that has happened in my own life with my children. If my wife came to me now, five children in and kids moving out and my youngest is nine and I'm kind of going, yeah, no more diapers, no more this, no more that. If my wife came to me and said, hey, uh, something happened miraculously I'm pregnant again you know and I'm like is it mine (laughs) yeah this is what's going on here I would do it I would be excited about it but it take me a minute like to catch my breath right like oh can I do that not that I don't want to I just don't know if I can do it again I'm old. I'm like, listen, I've done that. God, I want to move to grandparent status. Like that's, I had kids to be a granddad. Like that was the whole thing. Give candy and never discipline, right? (laughs) I want to move into that. I'm I'm done with this. And then I got to volunteer again. I feel that way with the church planted 20 years ago watched it grow, stand in the pulpit and look out and go, I don't know if I can do this again. It's like starting over. As a pastor, it's like, I don't even know who's here. I don't even know who's members. I don't even know who's on the list. I don't even know who's volunteering. I don't even know if we could pull this service off. And I believe Gilbert is experiencing a complete overhaul in such a way where you're experiencing what many churches are experiencing in spades. And now there is a complete teardown and all kinds of upheaval, and the things are being rebuilt. But we're looking around now and going, who's going to volunteer? Who's going to commit? Who's going to give? Who's going to follow the word? There is a complete rebuild that's taking place. And you want to know what it's going to take? People filled with desire who are going to devote and dedicate to start over. Hmm. You realize Maybe some of us have been worshiping on somebody else's dime. Maybe we've been riding other people's coattails. Everybody else volunteers. Everybody else gives. Everybody else does that. I just come. And now you're looking around and going, who's going to do this? You are. You are. You see, the reality is as we stand at this place in history, we are shocked by what's happened in the world. But we preach sovereignty, really? God's not shocked. And the reality is, he's doing the same things he's doing throughout all of history. He's calling his people for a covenant renewal, to be the church. Before I share what chapter 12 is, I want to share a story with you and then I haven't preached in six weeks, so I don't even know if I went way too long. or way, Just bear with me. I won't be here next week. Here we go. <laughs> this summer I came back from an extended time away of rest just to be with some long-time people that I've pastored. For their 10-year wedding renewal. And I wouldn't normally do this except of how important it is because of how many years I've pastored this couple in different seasons. I knew them when they weren't married to each other. They were in other marriages. I knew them in their addictions to drugs and alcohol. I knew them in all of their brokenness and watched God faithfully work and redeem and save. Then I knew them when they got married and I told them I don't think you guys should. <laughs> like you They got married and within 6 months I get a call from the husband saying my wife's pregnant but not with My kid. And right then I could have gone, told you, I told you. But nobody needs to hear the law. They need to hear of God's grace and faithfulness. And this man decided to say, look, I know God has... Called me with much pain and tears to stay in this relationship, and then nine months later had a baby girl who was in critical condition and almost died in the hospital. In the hospital with them, I'm, I'm going to say this this way: I know them; they could hear this. I said it in their marriage. Come, I'm going to just say it to you: this couple is a mess, a mess. But they are the crown jewel of my pastoral ministry. You know, Paul said to the church of Corinth, who is the messiest church. I mean, they did all kinds of rank stuff. And he says, you all are the crown jewel of my apostleship. He loved boasting in their messiness and their sin. Ten years into it, and they want to get a covenant renewal and I want to tell you what I did not do I didn't say don't do it you're going to mess up again don't do it because you failed so much don't do it because you're already married it's not going to make you more married All of the weird stuff Christians say when it comes to covenant renewal. Well, I'm already committed. Commit again. I'm gonna mess it up. Commit again. You see, church, what they did is what we need to do when it comes to covenant renewal. 10 and 11, they signed a contract. Chapter 12... You want to know what they do? They put on the biggest party. And it's like reading a party planning manuscript is what it's like reading, you know. Get a choir, a big choir. Get two choirs, you know. And then have them march on the walls. Now remember, why is the walls important? Because their enemy said, hey, you put a fox up on that wall and their walls are going to fall. They're like, we just rebuilt the walls. We're putting two choirs on it. They're going to march around the walls, and they're going to sing. They're going to sing so loud that they're going to hear it far and wide. you remember what was read? And they offered great sacrifice. That day rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far and wide. you want to know? They partied so loud The neighbors complained. (laughs) Noise complaints. You want to know what they didn't do? It's what we do in the West. We love to talk about how many sacrifices we've made. Look at all that I've gone through. Moved away and I rebuilt the walls. I got to get back to family. I, I, I got all these kinds of things. Look at all the stuff that I've done. Look at how hard it's been. It's, really, it's been a really tough year for me. We love to boast in our sacrifices. And we want everybody to know across the world that our lives are hard too. We love to boast. And how much cost something is. Hey, man, nice sweater, $7.99. You're like, why did you tell me that? I just said nice sweater. Because I want you to know how good of a deal I got. That's why. The cost of something is so important. We want everybody to know how much we have paid. And there is a temptation when you've gone through a year like what we have gone through You want everyone to know how much you've paid. And that temptation is not what Jerusalem wanted to fall into. They didn't want to talk about, hey, I came and rebuilt these walls. I came and put in work. I came and, you know what they did? They put on a huge worship service because they didn't want to fall into the temptation that they rebuilt the city. They wanted to sing of how God did it. And the reality is if anything that they have done and anything that they have participated is nothing compared to what God has done and how faithful he has been and they want to get a choir and get noise complaints so everybody can hear, look what God just brought us through. And as long as we continue to go through identity crisis on whether or not we have to do this to be saved And as long as we continue to go through boasting in our sacrifices rather than boasting in his, we're going to miss how grand God's redemption actually is. Reformed people love the doctrine of justification. We should. It's a good doctrine. That God has made us right. But you know there's other doctrines? Did you know that? <laughs> that God has made us right is such a beautiful reality and we should rejoice in it. But can you also see that God has brought you into union with him? You're in a covenant relationship with Jesus. You're one with Jesus you are in union with him. you're married to him. There is no separ- there's no separating you from him. there's nothing that can separate you from him. You are in union with him. Everything that can be said about Jesus can be said about you. Why? Because of him? You're righteous because of what he's done. You're holy because of what he's done. He's done all these things. He has made you in union with him. You want to know what else? He's brought you into his work in the world. You are on mission with God. You get to do the same work he did while he was in the world. It's a family business around here. We get to go to work together. You want to know what else? He's so dedicated, he's going to finish his work. Even with all of our attempts to mess it up, he will finish what he started. And church, as the band comes up and we prepare to worship, and I pray we worship so loud that we get noise complaints. I mean, Gilbert's calling us. you got to turn that down. I want us today to recommit to be in the church and to stepping into what God has called us into. Maybe some of us have to volunteer because we want to and others hear God calling and we say yes and we volunteer, we jump in. There's so much that the church needs to do in repopulating in worshiping, in gathering. And it's time for you to sign the contract. And dedicate. Not because you think it's going to save you, but because you are saved. Because you're dedicated to the one who's been dedicated to you. There's work to be done. And God's called you and me to do that work. And I look around this room and I see so many young people and I see so many young families and I see so many who are new here. I had one in the first service say, this is my second week here. And I see people who've been here for a long time. But you know what I see? The same God who brought you to this place and through what we've been through is taking us into a bright future. How do I know that's true? Because he keeps doing it over and over again. And I want to be a part of all that he has for us. Father, we thank you for your work for your spirit, for your power. I thank you for all that you have done to show your faithfulness to us. We celebrate today not just because you've changed our actions, but you've given us new desires. You've made us to love you. You love us so passionately. You desire relationship with us and you also have given us new desires. We want you. We want your way. We want your word. We celebrate because you're devoted to us. You have committed so deeply to us. You have never wavered from your devotion to us. And Lord, we recommit. We devote to you and we know we have failed in so many ways and we lament and we repent of that. We see place for that of the times that we have sinned and turned. We turn away from those things but we turn to you and devote ourselves once again to you. Thank you that it's not based upon my devotion but it's so deeply rooted in yours. And I want to show that and live that in the way that I live in this world. God, thank you that you not only started the work, but you're faithful to complete it. And we dedicate, based off your dedication towards us, to walk with you. And you will complete the work. Thank you that your love reveals this to us in Jesus' name. Amen.